the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, with your co-hosts, Ed Lay and Thomas Mulhern, this is Global Denmark. Hello and welcome to the Global Denmark podcast, where we explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Today we have part two of our roundtable discussion with the CEO of Women Deliver, Kaja Everson, MD of the IME Fund and Director of Henley Business School, Chris Schirm, and the CEO of Copenhagen Capacity, Klaus Lundborg. Today we're discussing lessons for Denmark. We talk about being more open to foreigners and opening up to the expat segment and the growing inequality within Denmark. Without further ado, we bring you Ketja Everson, Christian and Klaus Lundborg. We are back with Ketja Everson, Christian and Klaus Lundborg. Ketchup, we are now looking at lessons to Denmark. And I could hear when we were talking about lessons from Denmark that gender diversity in terms of gender equality, that wasn't something you were shouting from the rooftops. Perhaps you could talk about a lesson to Denmark in terms of gender diversity. Yep. Yeah, Denmark is not really doing as well as we like to pride ourselves we're doing or compared to the ones we normally compare ourselves to in terms of gender equality. Uh, we see very few Danish female business leaders. We see ridiculously few Danish board members, female board members. So there's room for improvement, but there's luckily a lot of good inspiration to get. And if we look at the business world, just a couple of things. When I sit as an advisor to some of the global companies of the world and advisor to Unilever and Johnson and Johnson and a couple of others, seeing how they systematically think it in. Because we have kind of lulled ourselves into we don't have a problem. If we don't have a problem, we don't have to do anything about it. But my big encouragement to business leaders is to look at what's happening around the world, particularly in business, and look at that systematic approach of looking. How do we do unstereotyping in marketing, in all our marketing? How do we create the right pipeline and the right work conditions and a work, work environment that actually attracts and promote a female and diverse talent? How do we make sure that there's the policies in place that encourage, for example, paternity leave? We know paternity leave is one of the biggest game changers of negative gender norms. And here, you're a little bit still considered a sissy if you take it. Or at least the statistic shows that we like to talk about it, but not a lot of men take it. We talked in our podcast about Iceland as a best practice. Mm-hmm. Specifically, what could Denmark take from the Icelandic model to become better at this, if they're the best? Unequal pay is illegal. How was that found? Was it you transparency do, across Transparency, the you have the same in the UK. Uh, companies over 50 people have to be totally transparent on uh, on salary gaps. That creates a lot of discussion. Yeah. Uh, some lawsuits, but that's also how you make change happen. You have family-friendly policies. Denmark's are not bad, but they're still not excellent. You have many more role models, female. It's not considered weird to be a female leader. So you see it from young age. You see both men and women in leadership, and it's it's not a problem. And you have a much, much better share of the work at home. And what would be the, the easiest change that an organization or country could make as a whole to close the gap? So there's no silver bullet here. 
because if there was, it had been fire. So you have to look at it both in the long term and the short term. You know, in Denmark, the Me Too has never taken off because it was again put on the women that they were just, you know, kind of loud and... And, and it was not, it was just decided it was not a problem in Denmark. And anybody who spoke up was just like kind of not really serious. So we have to have work environments where there's no sexual harassment. We have to have work environments where there's equal opportunities and they are reinforced from the top. I have that you should link promotion and bonuses to diversity. Mm. If you do not as a middle manager or as a big manager live up to it, you don't get promoted. There's a lot of different elements. So we, we, sure. we have a suite because that's also what Women Deliver does. Yeah. We do not just stand and shout from the rooftop mm-hmm. or point fingers. We actually go into the processes and say, this is what can be done. Yeah. This is what works. This is what we should show. You mentioned the Me Too movement and that not sweeping across Denmark. If I speak to people, they'll say, well, those things don't really happen here. Which is so not true. But I will see at the same time that my wife isn't able to use LinkedIn the same way I am because she will get a message a week saying, hi, you're very pretty, etc., etc. She'll get significantly high number of males looking at her profile. So I know the thing is happening. But how do we weed things like that out? It starts at home. It's also how do we bring up our children? How do we show what's okay and what's not okay? How do we use language? How do you teach? You know, don't teach your girls how to dress. Teach your boys not to They're rape. They're teaching me at the moment, actually. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, but it's kind of, it, it, it's that. It starts at home. Love. As fathers to daughters, we want them to have any opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned that in Denmark, there's a lack of, females in CEO or top board positions. Chris, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, you run the Henley Executive MBA. Has there been an increase or decrease in females looking to become executives? As far as females who are prioritizing taking an executive MBA, it's slowly increasing, but always been below what we would like to see. And I think one of the the key factors is just that women are less likely to to not prioritize their family. Because when you're in a a demanding career, you have to balance your private life, your family, and a demanding career. And if you decide in the middle of that to take on an executive education, which can be anywhere from eight to 20 hours a week additionally, then women in many regards aren't willing to to sacrifice their family for that. Or they don't have a man who wanna share that burden at home. It is dual. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, I wrote a book a couple of years back that says women know your network. And it was an encouragement to women to go out and network a lot more. Mm -hmm. And some of it is structural that women take more of the work at home. They often are the ones who picks up. They often are the ones who kind of take care of that home base. Mm -hmm. Both because the men make more money. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a calculation. But that also comes on equal pay. And my encouragement to women is you also got to get it out there. You also got to get out there and promote you. Many women think that networking is cynical. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, no, it's part of the game. Klaus, I want you to tap in right there. How important is it networking in Denmark if you want to be a top leader? I think it is equally important here as it is in many other places. Here. What we try to teach foreigners, especially when they come to Denmark, is that many of the foreigners would expect to be able to network within the company. So after hours, you would hang out you know, with colleagues, go out and have a beer, or just stay in the office to talk together here. And what you find is that all the Danes, as soon as the clock is four or five o'clock, <laughs> I mean, they're completely gone, right? So where do they go? I mean, they go home to their families for one, but they also go to all these clubs. 
I mean, all these, you know, if you're sailing sports, running or chess player, whatever, I mean, you find clubs for everything there. And this is where Danes go to socialize. So this is what you need also to, and this is a fantastic place to network also if you want to get closer to the Danes and learn how things work. I mean, uh, I'm in one of these high-level VL groups for senior leaders in Denmark here. I often find it to be much more interesting to be, you know, at my son's swimming contest because I meet all their dads and moms there who are in equally high positions and I get become friends with them, you know, and network with them here. So yes, it is, of course. You know, you can't do everything yourself. You could say maybe as strong as your network sometimes here. So yes, but I'm not sure if it's different in Denmark than it is other places. It's just different how you do it. Chris, what is your take on that coming here in terms of professional networking? You know, it reflects a bit back. We all talk about how fantastic Denmark is, and it is a fantastic place in many regards. But the study that came out recently that really surprised me, how difficult it is to make friends here if you're a foreigner. And then I went, yes. Now there's data that, that substantiates some of the challenges at that night. And see I that, honey? It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, really, see? <laughs> and, you know, as fantastic as it is, as we talk about hygge, you know, it, it's great if you're part of the club. But if you're not, it's not so nice. In Danes, they have this tendency to collect their friends as they go through life. You have a few from Folkeskole, and then you have a few from gymnasium, and then if you've been in the military, and then maybe the university, and maybe the mother's club, and then you have your own family, and then you just don't really have a lot of room for anybody else. And so being on the outside, it's more difficult here to be a foreigner than, than perhaps even, even I realized until that study came out. So again, it comes back to, to diversity. Somehow, it has to be more inclusive. Well, how do we get there? If Klaus is saying the um, the associations, both when you have kids or if you don't have kids, how do you break in? Do you have to speak Danish? Do you have to put yourself out there? Klaus and I were just having this discussion right before the podcast about the VL groups, which is a prestigious... Um, and for our audience, what is, what is that? It's a network for high high leaders. High high level. Level. Okay. It's a prestigious network of mainly Danish business leaders because most business leaders or, or leaders who lead businesses in Denmark are Danish. That's kind of obvious. But we're talking about the language and the nationality and VL has also started opening up for, for internationals and non-Danish speakers. So I think it's making some of the institutional changes to allow for greater diversity. But maybe to follow up upon that and, you know, talking about what Denmark can learn from abroad here, if you broaden Katja's view a bit here, and and, and what you're saying, Chris, is all the good things we have in Denmark that we talked about, the welfare system, you know, the trust, the low power distance, I think as a Dane that we're also very content with our system. Mm -hmm. And if you're very content... You're not that interested in develop yourself, prosper. And you may not be looking towards that other countries or other cultures may actually have something or are doing things in a different way that actually also may make sense here. So we're not, I believe, as Danes as a whole, we're not very open to change, meaning also that when we take foreigners in here, I think we have a hard time adapting. We expect foreigners to come here to adapt to our culture. We're not taking a step the other way. That could definitely be an area, I think, you know, where we, in our culture, could do something better because we might actually come up with something better than what we have now. All three of you have lived abroad at one point. Have you seen any... Doing it now. (laughs) (laughs) May may I just add one thing to this? So so in my former life, I trained business leaders in cross-cultural management and communication for the company called Aperian Global. So I partly trained foreigners who came to Denmark on integration and management and communication here, but also Danes going out. And it was all families because we know that most placements fail if the family doesn't settle. Kind of whether it was a Danish family and a leader going to China or to the US, or it was people coming here. You know, it was exactly as you say, Chris, 
they just couldn't get friends. And that was kind of then the families, the husband and the wife who were the spouse. While thriving in the workplace, of course, some, if the leader kind of said, we're used to a culture where they say, are we going that way? And then looked around, nobody followed because we had not gone through all the question and the consensus creation yet. But it was very much that people couldn't break in socially. And that is expensive for companies. We can't attract the talent and they leave again. I was taken to one side when I first moved here by a few of my um, my wife's old school friends. And they said, Ed, you've got two years. <laughs> two years. And if you haven't learned Danish by then, you won't be invited to parties anymore because it's not hygge to expect everybody at the party to speak English because... Because you don't. So uh, I'm at my two-year point now, so fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm learning Danish, but uh, it's not an easy language. <laughs> that was one of the things that struck me when I moved to the States. Mm. And, but also when I moved to Italy right. and when I based in, in Vietnam, it was that curiosity to your next human being. Mm. Mm. So the thing that I could go to a restaurant, sit and eat in a bar, and be absolutely sure that I would have a meaningful conversation with mm. somebody. That's just not the case here. So it seems like you've identified kind of the catch-22 of Danish contentedness. And what makes Denmark one of the happiest is this tight, trusting community. But it's the same thing that gives rise to being exclusive to people coming in from the outside. Mm. There must be a best practice, a country that has both the high social welfare model and inclusive. Do we know of any? I'm thinking maybe Canada. Good point. Is there, is, there a model yeah. to, is there a model to look at here? I know... Ireland is extremely inclusive. I talked to Lars Hamer in terms of the, their diaspora. And I know that Denmark is now right. looking at Danes abroad. But again, they're Danes abroad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Is there a country with, with a language that isn't English that does it well there? But that's another funny thing. That's All Danes America. speak English, right? right? There would be absolutely no rational behind that you Ed, would not be invited to a party because everybody there would speak English anyway, right? Sure. And it's not a big hassle for us. So it's just, you know, it's I think it's a cultural thing. It's a conservative thing that, come on, you, you have to learn Danish. And, and we would actually tell the same to foreigners coming in here. It would be good for you to learn Danish, not because you cannot get around here, because you can easily get around with English. But learning Danish will get you a step deeper into the country. It's water cooler conversations, right? And, uh, Something and else, right? Yeah. But I'm, I don't know if there's any other country who really excels in this. You, you might say Canada, maybe Australia even. Again, English speaking, as you yeah. say. Right. But I mean, I, I feel extremely um, privileged to speak Danish at, at a high level and, and don't remember what it would be like not to be able to. And every day I learn, and it gives me so much deeper insight into the to the culture. I mean, just like you know, my reference to the to the Prime Minister's New Year's speech or to the Queen's New Year's speech, or be able to understand politics or some of these dynamics, and to be able to have those types of conversations with other Danes allows me to connect at a deeper level to strengthen these types of relationships that would be otherwise difficult to do. I think. What's the data behind the business case for diversity and equality? I think you mentioned a McKinsey yeah. report when we spoke. Yeah, about yeah. Well, we know from the gender perspective, the McKinsey parity report shows that if there was gender equality globally in the workforce, we could add 26% to global GDP. That's the same as the economy of the US and Japan combined. Nowhere in sight right now. I think it's the US, it's 11%. So it's a lot of money, 28 trillion. So it's more than I've got. So and then you kind of, <laughs> you, you also have it uh, where you have diverse leadership between 15 and 30% better. 
Right. I think there's several studies, I mean, underlying what yeah. you're saying here, that diversity in general is, is something that benefits the company. So it's a no-brain, really. Mm. It's just, you know, it's and it's not only gender equality. No, it's the diversity. It's, you know, definitely diversity in general here. Look at, you know, 10 years ago in the large Danish companies, it would be very limited how many foreigners you actually have in executive positions. That has become better now, but you're still talking about executives typically from other Western countries, mm. right? So, so, so you're not really diverse in a global sense, still room for improvement there. So is the problem fear or is the problem contentedness? You like the known, you know, we hire in our own image. Yeah, the, the cognitive biases. Yeah, exactly. We come from a clan culture. You know, is it 90% or is it 87% that comes basically from the same start in mm. Denmark? There's some really fascinating research that shows that judges don't perform as well as computers when deciding whether somebody should get bail. Is there a case mm. for blind interviewing so that we don't know the gender of someone, we don't know the diversity of someone? Well, from a gender and a diversity perspective, absolutely is one of the tools. There's a, there's a, there's a fascinating study from, don't want to mention the name of the company, <laughs> but they had 20, 20 middle leaders, all men, and they had hired each other. And then they did a test where they took the name and the gender of their CVs and then they presented their CVs to each other in a hiring situation, mm. and none of them would get hired. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Uh, guys, I am mindful of the time, and we're going to wrap up our roundtable today, and we're going to go around. We'll start with you, Klaus, and go inverse this time. One wish for Denmark and one wish for the world here in 2020. Uh. One wish for Denmark. I would say be a bit more open, you know, like we talked about here. Try to embrace what is different. See what you can learn from it. I mean, it may not be dangerous and you don't have to decide on it, but at least embrace the differences. A wish for the world. Peace. I think we can use that. And I think it's, uh, it's difficult times. <laughs> Chris? I think it goes a bit hand in hand. I mean, a, a wish for, for Denmark that it can embrace the possibility of the role that it has to inspire the rest of the world towards a more sustainable approach to, to business and leadership. To truly see that as a relatively small country, to not only be content with that they have enough, to maybe accept the role, that they can actually inspire the rest of the world. And um, maybe to the rest of the world to accept that, to continue to be inspired by the Nordics, to continue to be open up, to continue to look at this the model, this business or society or what it is and see that we can learn from this part of the world. Catch the last word to you. 2020 is going to be a super year on different issues. Uh, it's one of the biggest environmental years in terms of some of the big events happening, both in terms of you know meetings and resolutions, but also in terms of wildfires. You know, we are really seeing environment at play here and at risk. Also, in the gender space, it's uh, 25 years since the big women's conference in Beijing. So we have a big year, we call it generation equality, not just gender equality, but generation equality. So Denmark has a fabulous opportunity to step up and embrace that, show the world what we have learned, whether it's in sustainable energy, whether it's in leadership, whether it's in gender, and take a leadership role in some of the big international forests right now. That will require both political investment, but also financial investment to take that leadership role and show and it will also require, and that's where the world, where we can learn something from the world, or the wish 
from the world in Denmark is a little more humbleness to where we're not good enough, but actually be open to learning from others on that one. You know, we actually often say, you know, when people criticize us and big reports do, we kind of say, that's not true, there's something wrong with the data. <laughs> uh, so my wish is to step into that world and embrace it with all you got. And while you do it, learn from that world that can make us and Denmark a much stronger society and ready for the future. If we do not change with the world, Denmark will become very small. On that note, we will leave it there for today. Catch you soon, Chris Schoen, Klaus Lundborn, true pleasure. Thank you so much for coming by. And to our audience, if you like what you heard today and you want us to keep growing, please rate, review, tell your friends. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And until next time, see you on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.